Hi there. Welcome back to the Equipoise podcast, where in 10 minutes or less, we try to bring some balance to discussions and controversial issues if we can. Uh, Last week, we talked about the meaning of the word church and discovered that it was an already existing word used to describe a sort of town meeting. So when Jesus said, I'm building a church of my own, it wasn't a brand new concept to his followers. Rather, it was one with which they would have already been familiar. So this week, I want to chat a little bit more about the church, and we're going to begin by very briefly defining this term. The word church is often informally used today uh, to refer to the place or building where the church assembled. And we need to be very precise for the purpose of this mini-series. A church, properly understood, has much less to do with the place or a building and much more to do with an assembly of people. I mean, take Paul's words, for example. Romans 16.5, he says, Greet the church that's in your house. Well, he's clearly speaking here about a group of people, since we don't typically greet buildings, and buildings don't meet in houses. You know. <laughs> um, now, there have been faith traditions through time that have been more concerned about this than others. For instance, the Quakers. They were very concerned about this distinction. Um, they refused to call their church buildings churches. Instead, they called them steeple houses in an attempt to preserve the meaning of the term assembly or church as a group of people rather than four walls and a roof. On the other hand, most Western churches informally call their buildings churches, even though they might be otherwise called chapels or cathedrals in the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox traditions, or meeting houses or buildings in a more Protestant tradition. Why, even most of our you know, signs in front of our church buildings say something like First Presbyterian Church or Second Avenue Baptist Church. I mean, if we really wanted to be super accurate, our signs would probably read the meeting house of the blank Pentecostal church or the blank Lutheran church, whatever. But then again, that's the whole point, right? We've drifted a little bit in our informality. The meaning of words change over time. Sure, I don't think it's malicious, but I do think it's something about which we should be mindful. Uh, church is at its most potent and most meaningful when it's, when it's used to refer to a group of people rather than a building. Now, one might here say, well, what group of people? A local one, a universal worldwide one, an invisible one? And this is when we're going to begin our transition to that aspect of the conversation. We are going to go there, and yes, it, you know, some of you might disagree, and that's totally cool. Remember, we're striving for a balanced view here, not striving for some intellectual victory or to score points. I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything. I just want to help us avoid extreme positions. See, that's the thing about extreme positions. We get entrenched in them. And sometimes we're entrenched so deeply, we can't hear the other side anymore. Naturally, this is most dangerous when we're entrenched in the wrong position. And before you start thinking that you're not wrong because you've got an arsenal of Bible verses that says you're right, please remember that there are other people who love Jesus and they happen to have a few verses of their own and disagree with you. So we're going to talk about the universal church versus local church idea. But before we can start building that case, we're going to have to clear off the brush. I'm going to start by disqualifying some modern notions of church. This is especially important coming off of what's been called the worst pandemic in modern history, which has resulted in many, if not most, churches around the world closing, leaving members isolated or forcing them to utilize curious adaptations like Zoom or Facebook Live. So let's begin. This will be fun. First to be disqualified is the solo church. It sounds something like, I attend church with God alone in the park, just me and the bench and the squirrels. And I get it, but this is incoherent. It contradicts the very heart of the word church, no matter how you slice it. A church, in a true sense, is an assembly of some kind. By nature of its own definition, it requires people getting out of their own personal bubble and joining with others in some way. Now, consider Paul when he describes the church as a body that has many members uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, or when he talks about the use of different gifts by many different people. 
um, whether you say, I'm a universal church guy or I'm a local church guy, either way, we should all be able to agree that church is not a solo act. It is something in which people engage together. So to say I have church by myself is a fallacy of terms and a failure to understand what the word church means. Now, if you want to say I don't attend an assembly but rather choose to fellowship with God alone, I disagree with your choice. It's disobedient, but at least it's coherent. So to sum up this point, Brett McCracken says it this way in his book, Uncomfortable. Many Christians today have no problem disengaging from local church life and opting instead for a largely me and Jesus faith that only occasionally overlaps with the complex requirements of community. There really is no such thing as solo church. Next to be deep sixed on our list is the home church idea, which really picked up steam in 2020, at least in America. Now, when I say home church, I'm not talking about churches that meet in homes, but rather churches that consist of only one home. Many folks weren't given the opportunity to be digitally involved in their church or just didn't like the idea, and so they chose to indulge in home church or having church as a family. Dad's the pastor, mom's the piano player, deacon, I don't know, and the kids are the congregation, I guess. In my house, we call this family Bible time. <laughs> We do it regularly, but, you know, this is far from being a solo act, yes, but it still fails to meet the qualifications laid out in Scripture as a church assembly. Outside of the obvious omission of having many members with many gifts, many still argue for the validity of church at home. While it's possible, I guess, to argue for home baptism, home communion, home preaching and singing and so on, there's still several essentials that have been nudged out in the home church model. Very quickly, here's a few. The pooling together of finances— the early church had all things common. That's not talking about interfamily. That's talking about intrafamily. Everybody brought something to the table that helped somebody else out. They could support missionaries, support each other, widows, orphans. This is a group effort. It's not something one home can do among themselves. Another element left aside by the home church idea is accountability and encouragement. Uh, I love my wife, but she can't urge me to holiness in the same way an older brother in Christ can. Um, nor will my children ever challenge me in the way that another Christian brother would if I taught false doctrine, right? These things can only be experienced in a broader assembly context. Otherwise, how, how can I learn something new or be convicted of my sins unless I hear another Christian speak to me? And I know, he would use the Holy Spirit, brother. If you were saved, you would know. Yes, but the Holy Spirit uses preaching. So let's be balanced. And then there's the idea of love. It's easy to love my wife and children. Sometimes it's harder to love other people in church like I should. It is only in church sometimes that I learn to love the otherwise unlovable like Jesus. Another issue, there's no authority in a home church. You're your own boss. You can do church how you wanted it done. You don't have to sing the songs you don't want to sing. You're not uncomfortable. You don't have to greet one another. There's no real, like I mentioned, accountability, no church discipline. Um... Somebody said it this way, Adam McHugh said, We must put away our convenient notions of God, the one who always agrees with us, the one who always favors our nation or political agenda, the one who feeds us candy and never vegetables. When we have home church, we're going to pick the candy almost every time. Another issue is this. Churches are supposed to be diverse and different. A church should not look like a single man or family. That's called a cult. The comfort and lack of persecution in home church is also radically unlike what the early church experienced. The church was meant to thrive outside of comfort and safety. In the presence of these elements, it withers and becomes ineffective. For Exhibit A on this, look around in the West. So then, here's our third and final notion of church under discussion. Virtual church. For sake of time, I'll say here that it's definitely not ideal. I'm not saying it's wrong, especially in our present circumstances. 
But not only does it suffer from some of the same drawbacks as home church, you know, abundance of comfort, lack of accountability, but have you noticed that for most of us, it's remarkably hard to pay attention when it's a digital screen? I know there's some who disagree, and I won't question your honesty, but I encourage us all to take a close look at how well we pay attention, or not, during digital church. And I know that some would argue that we assemble digitally when we're, you know, watching Facebook Live or doing a Zoom meeting, but I'd counter with the fact that we aren't truly together. We don't sing together, sit together, um, hug, kiss, shake hands, whatever you do. We don't take communion together. We don't cheer for baptisms together. We don't eat together. We don't exchange glances from around the room, you know, and we don't feel the proximity of preaching together. And that leads me to my last point. I have noticed that because of the grim reality that we don't sing together, see each other in person, eat together, etc., that the focus of online church has been the preaching and or teaching. While that's fine and good, we need to be mindful that assembling as a church is for a whole lot more than just listening to someone preach. That's an essential and maybe even primary part of our meeting together, but that's just what it is, a part. So those are just some of the drawbacks of what we'd call virtual church or something. I think it's better than solo church. It's definitely better than home church. I really do believe that for the reasons we talked about. But please keep in mind that I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus for staying away from church because you're sick or you're concerned about the virus. Look, if somebody is in in the hospital with cancer, I'm not going to go up to them and say, church is essential, you know. There are obviously times in which we would say, hey, stay home, get well. The coronavirus pandemic might be a justifiable time for that. Uh, For many, it's not. For others, it is. And we need to strive for balance in that area, too. But I'll leave you with this. Sam Albury says this. It is impossible to be in Christ and not belong to others. A Christian, by definition, has a connection with and a responsibility to other Christians. You cannot claim Christ and avoid his people. And unfortunately, that's what these three models of the church ultimately do, especially if we engage in them for a protracted period of time. So next week, I'll get myself into trouble as we talk about the universal church versus local church. But until next time, stay balanced.